Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 following. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding the twelve disciples, he departed from thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went he out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went he out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For some time, someone has been urging me to preach a series of sermons that deal with biographies of great characters in the Bible. I'm not going to extend this over a long period of time, but I do intend to preach several sermons about outstanding figures who were faced with trials. Last, I had intended to begin, by the way, with Elijah, but last Sunday on the way back to the uh, care uh, nursing home with a minister friend of mine whose advanced age and infirmities require him to uh, have extended nursing care, we were talking together about John the Baptist. And he really inspired me to think about preaching this today and about John's discouragement. John was disappointed in Jesus. Have you ever been disappointed in Jesus? Have you ever just gotten to the place where you just said, Now look, Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I've really tried to be a Christian. But what happened to me? Why did my kid have to go wrong? Why did my husband or my wife happen to be unfaithful? Why did I lose my job? Why, Lord? Why? And we are sometimes disappointed that we do not feel stronger in our faith. Well, the first thing that we have to remember is that these disappointments and disillusionments and discouragements are common to the lot of us all. And that doubt is not unusual. 
even Thomas, who was so close to the Lord Jesus himself, the very night before Jesus was crucified, Thomas was all determined that he would even go to death, to the death for Jesus. And yet after Jesus had been raised from the dead, Thomas wouldn't believe it. He doubted. John Mark had set off on a great missionary adventure with Paul and with Barnabas. And when the trials and tests got severe, John Mark turned a coward and went away from them. And so this has happened to some of the finest people in all of the New Testament. And in fact, in the Old Testament too. You study the life of Elijah and you see it. You study Jonah and you see it. You study Moses and you see it. You see this cropping up in some of the Lord's choicest people. So the first thing to remember is, number one, that doubt such as this is not uncommon by true followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're not to be shocked by it, although it's not very pleasant. One of my favorite cartoon strips is the Little Peanuts cartoon strip. And uh, Lucy is a very interesting character. And some time ago, I clipped out one of the cartoons in which uh, Lucy was in a conversation with Linus, her rather intellectual uh, little brother. And so uh, Lucy was saying that everything had gone wrong and everything was terrible and that she was depressed. And Linus said, now, Lucy, remember that life is made up of ups and downs. And Lucy screamed to the top of her voice, and said, but I don't want downs. All I want is ups. <laughs> and her experience is, is uh, common to all of us. All we want is ups. We don't want downs. Now then, let's look particularly at John the Baptist. First of all, John the Baptist had made a tremendous affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. He proclaimed him openly as the Son of God. John the Baptist had called Jesus the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had said of Jesus, There is one coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. So John the Baptist had made a tremendous profession of his faith in Jesus as the Christ. Now John's rework John's work requirements were tremendous. John was a humble, dedicated soul. He wouldn't even call himself a prophet. He let others call him a prophet. And once, when some suggested that he was the Messiah, John said, no, I am not the Messiah. And when some said, John, you're another Elijah, John said, no, I am not. I'm not worthy. This man had been brought up in a cultural home. His father had been a priest. His advantages had been great. But God had singled him out for the greatest honor up to this time in human history. God had singled him out to be the forerunner of the Christ who was to come, of Jesus. And the forerunner had a tremendously difficult task. He was to come in fulfillment of Old Testament passages that had to do with the making of a highway for the coming of the Lord, the Lord Christ. Driving over to Asheville every Sunday afternoon to speak in a hospital, I've watched the progress of Interstate 40. 
And when you look out there where that big superhighway is going to go, you see great gashes cut into the hills. You see rocks that are being blasted out of the way. In some places you can see where houses have been demolished and moved because a big superhighway is coming through and other things have to give way. There has to be some uprooting, some destroying, some blasting. This upsets a great many people's style of life. And so it was true of this forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah, this John the Baptist. He came preaching a tremendously severe doctrine, a doctrine of judgment, judgment upon the people who were called by God's name because they were unfaithful. John came like a woodsman who had a sharp, double-bladed axe that had been laid into the root of a tree, and it was going to die. John came saying, there is one who will follow after me, who will sift out the trash and throw it away. John came preaching to the religious establishment. And do you know what he called them? He called them a generation of vipers. In Western North Carolina lingo, that's a den of rattlesnakes. You call the church leaders that today and see what happens to you in the church. You'll be looking for another job. That's what John did. He saw it, and he called it like he saw it. And as a result of it, he didn't have too many friends in the establishment. But do you know an interesting thing took place? A lot of common people went out to hear him gladly. They heard him out in the desert. And great transformations took place in their lives. John preached a doctrine of judgment and repentance and demanded that they change their lives, that they seek the remission of their sins. And many a person went trembling down into the waters of baptism to come out a new creation as a result of the fiery preachments of this John the Baptist. That was his job. But great prophets have a hard time with crooked politicians. And a man by the name of Herod, who ruled on a throne, went to Rome. And while he was in Rome, he seduced his brother's wife and brought her back as his wife. John called the spade a spade, and he called sin, sin. And when he did, Herod had him arrested and had him placed in prison. And so John is in the dungeon of despair now. Few things could have been harder on a man of such nature as John the Baptist had. He had grown up out in the desert with a vast expanse of blue sky over his head and the wind of the desert bracing his face and blowing across his face. And here he is now in a dungeon, imprisoned, because he has fearlessly preached the righteousness of God. Herod was a crooked, spineless man a man in whose presence Jesus would never speak a word when he was called into his presence once. And Herod 
had placed John there because of his denouncing of him. John had been humble and true to his calling. Sometimes it's difficult for a prophet to separate the glory of God from the glory that comes to him. And there's nothing sadder than a prophet who goes down the drain. But John the Baptist was not like that. He was in prison because of his righteousness. And so while he was there, one day he began to lose patience. I don't think that John really doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. I think he did just as you and I sometimes do. He lost patience. We really do, do not doubt that God is God and that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that somehow in spite of the heartache that we're going through, that it is working together for good for us. But somehow we become impatient as the days lengthen into weeks and the weeks into months and the heartache deepens. And I think this was John the Baptist's experience. And one day in despair, he called two of his disciples and he said to them, go find Jesus and ask him this question. Are you the one who was to come or are we to look for someone else? Now, John had expected Jesus to come preaching as he preached. And Jesus didn't preach that way. Jesus came completing the work and fulfilling the work which John was doing, and their work complemented each other. And how Jesus deals with this doubt is interesting. Jesus said to these disciples of John, Go back to John and tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've seen me doing. Tell him about this Matthew who's following me here. This tax collector who was a crook. Tell him he's now going to be a preacher of the kingdom of God. Go back and tell John how you've seen lepers who have been made clean again. And lame men to walk. And said Jesus... Tell him that that grand promise in Isaiah 61 is fulfilled. That the poor are having the gospel preached to them. The poor are having the gospel preached to them. What does that mean? I used to think that maybe it meant that we went with some kind of social program to the poor. And that might be a part of it and could well be included. But the longer I live, the more I am convinced that the poor in Jesus' day were just like the poor in our day. They were despised by a lot of people and relegated as unimportant, and people never took the time to learn how to communicate with them. And so they didn't get the Word of God. I sometimes am terribly ashamed that here in the Montreat Church, that a man who cleans out a sewer and works down at the shop couldn't come here and understand the message and feel comfortable sitting by a Ph.D. Sometimes when I look at all the well-dressed, prosperous Presbyterians, 
I wonder why it is that we can't really preach the gospel to the poor. Why can't we learn how to love them in such a way that they can feel comfortable with us? I think that's what it means. Not long ago, we had a Sunday school meeting over in the CE building. There were about 15 teachers that were present there, and we were talking about our work for this year and, and what we were going to uh, teach. And one of our ladies who goes out to the juvenile evangel uh, evaluation center where young children who have been guilty of the most heinous and horrible crimes have been placed and where there is an enlightened program of trying to help them. And here is a woman who has been going Sunday after Sunday and who has tried to find some literature that would be suitable in communicating the Christian message to these people. She wants them to understand. And when she reported to us that night, she used these very words, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You get the message across. Are we really doing that or are we just talking about it? Do we love them? Do we really witness to them? Well, Jesus said, go back and tell John what you've seen. Now, Jesus didn't neglect the up-and-out people at all. He, re he reached them, too. But that's the way we ought to be. We ought to be able to reach both groups. This is what Jesus did. And then when these disciples of John had gotten out of sight, Jesus began a eulogy of John the Baptist, a, a praise of John the Baptist that is truly remarkable. When some people brag on you, it doesn't mean a thing in the world. It may even be a cover-up for the hostility and the hatred that they feel inside for you, so they overdo it by bragging about you. And you really measure praise by the integrity of the person who offers the praise. The greatest Christian that I ever knew was an old English teacher out in West Texas. Fifty years she taught English grammar. And me, in my extravagant way, I used to say something, and Mother Moss would say to me, Oh, honey, 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 don't use a $1 adjective when a five-cent adjective will do just as well. Save your expensive adjectives, and then they'll mean something. Watch your adjectives. They will weaken your noun. Well, now, Jesus was careful in his praise, and he doesn't soar up into hyperbole when he gets here to John. He waits till these disciples are out of sight. And then John, Jesus begins to speak about John. He says, what did you go out into the desert to hear when you went out there to hear John? He said, you didn't go out to hear some mealy mouth thing that was driven back and forth with every wind of doctrine. He said, what did you go out there to see? Some pretty boy in fine clothes? What you saw was a man with a beard and the wings and legs of grasshoppers and honey in his mouth and a leathern girdle about him, a wild-looking creature. But there was a ring of authority and the Spirit of God was upon him and you went to hear him, didn't you? Well, said Jesus, what you went to hear was a prophet. And I'm going to tell you, 
that what you heard was more than a prophet. When you heard John, you heard the one who is closest to the very one of God himself. But said Jesus, he's not yet entered into that kingdom. He doesn't know what you know. I was thinking about John yesterday. The fact that he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, I suppose he only saw Jesus one time, and that was when Jesus came to be baptized of him. You remember how John demurred and said, No, Lord, I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, It behooves me to fulfill the righteousness, uh, the, the requirements of righteousness, and so I'm going to ask you to do this. I think that's the only time they ever saw each other. The apostles of Jesus had the glorious experience of looking into his eyes and listening to his voice and knowing him. But John the Baptist didn't. He even died alone. They beheaded him and took his head on a platter into one of Herod's lovers. So, spiritual depression comes to us. All of us are subject to it. Many different circumstances give rise to it. What's the cure for it? To go to Jesus. To go to Jesus with him. Jesus said, go back and tell John that I'm working on schedule. That my program is not off track to remember what he's been preaching to other people and to be patient. And then Jesus praised that mighty man for what he had done. It's easy to live on the mountain where we speak to our Lord face to face, but the test is to live in the valley, just to live every day by his grace. It's wonderful where all is brightness there we fain would reside, never go. But the test is to live by the moment, step by step, in the valley below. It's pleasant to be in the sunshine where we see our Lord's hand as he guides. But the thing that is precious to Jesus is the faith that in darkness abides. Take your doubts to Jesus. Let him speak to you. He can bring victory over disillusionment and discouragement. For God is still at work, even in the heartache that you feel. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the re remarkable man that Thou didst send to prepare the way of the coming of our Savior. We thank Thee for John the Baptist. And we thank Thee that the Bible is faithful to tell us not only of his moments of great power and strength, but also of his times of discouragement and weakness. And help us to understand how much Jesus loves and cares and senses our needs. 
And when faith grows dim, help us to go to Jesus and help us to listen to what he says and help us to see in him the fulfillment of your plans and purposes for men. And if we have not yet surrendered our lives to his lordship, or if we have followed him afar off or so imperfectly that our disillusionment actually comes from sin, then God, we pray that thou wilt now hear our prayer for forgiveness and that thou wilt make us what we ought to be. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you always.